Hi, I'm Alan Alexandrov, and I'm the uh, director of the Global Summitry Project. You can find our activities at globalsummitryproject.com, and you, there you will find three podcast series. We have uh, a video series as well, and we have an e-journal uh, called Global Summitry, with a variety of articles from former officials, academics, on the critical issues of global summitry and uh, the global uh, summitry series. At the website, you will also find uh, several research projects that are underway. Uh, one, the China and the West Dialogue, which looks at um, the relationship and, uh, of the United States and China in the context of the global order, and also a project on uh, Agenda 2030. So it's uh, my real pleasure uh, today, as we enter into kind of the critical global summitry period, uh, to invite into the virtual studio uh, Valerie Carplus. This will be an opportunity uh, to talk to uh, Valerie uh, about uh, COP26. This is episode uh, 25 um, uh, of the Summit Dialogue series. And as I just mentioned, we're going to be talking with her in part on COP26 uh, at the Glasgow, the Glasgow Summit, which occurs uh, soon, uh, between November uh, 1st and November 12th. And I'm also going to be talking to Valerie about uh, China's critical role in the Glasgow Summit. Valerie is uh, currently an associate uh, professor in the Department of Engineering and Public Policy at Carnegie Mellon University. Previously, uh, Valerie had served as an assistant professor of global economics and management at uh, MIT's Sloan School of Management. Uh, uh, Valerie studies resource and environmental management in firms operating in diverse national and in industry contexts with a focus on the role of institutions and management practices in explaining performance. Valerie is an expert on China energy systems, including technology and business model innovation, energy system governance, and the management of air pollution and climate change in uh, China. From 2011 to 2015, Valerie directed the MIT Tsinghua China Energy and Climate Project, which was a five-year research effort focused on analyzing the design of energy and climate change policy in China and its domestic and global impacts. It is my pleasure to introduce to you uh, Valerie Karplis. So, uh, welcome, Valerie. It's a pleasure to have you with us in the virtual studio. Thank you, Alan. It's terrific to be here. 
So we're, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, we are now coming up to some very serious global summits, uh, including, of course, um, the G20 meeting in Rome uh, at the end of this week, and then COP26, which I mean, folks from the G20 meeting are flying up to Glasgow uh, to join in the COP26 meeting. Um, uh, the leaders are, many of the leaders are going to be there, and of course, it'll be quite a significant gathering. So let me start this way, Val, right? Six years after uh, Paris was signed, so that's two, 2015, this is the um, uh, delayed uh, fifth year meeting of the Paris uh, Climate Change Agreement because of COVID, um, aspects of the Paris Agreement have still yet to come into force, right? Because of disagreements over the details. These include a system of carbon trading and the rules by which countries should account for the emissions that they produce. There appear to be something like 136 agenda items which have not been um, com- resolved if I can say that, at at COP26. Um, Many of them were carried over from previous uh, COP meetings because they couldn't get agreements. So the question is, do you think um, we can, significant progress can be made uh, at this meeting, the Glasgow meeting, COP26? This is the the multi-trillion dollar question here, Alan. I think uh, we look at what's happening in the road up uh, leading up to Glasgow. I, I think you know, there is there are high hopes, and I have high hopes, but I haven't seen a lot of evidence uh, that we are on a path to success. And so, um, as we as we look ahead, I think that you know, um, it's going to really come down to um, the, as you say, a number of detailed points, and hopefully, we won't let those details get in the way of kind of the big picture. That um, mm-hmm. the the details need to serve the big picture, but we. I think there there actually are some efforts behind the scenes, you know, just despite the fact that we haven't got all of the updated NDCs in, uh, you know, there's a lot that is still unresolved at this point. If we just sort of look at at the progress, we've got um, as of today, 148 countries uh, had submitted um, new or updated nationally determined contributions or NDCs, mm-hmm. and um, 83 of these uh, would would reduce. Commission, uh, reduce CO2 emissions uh, compared to each country's prior NDC. So, okay, so, you know, we've, we're, I think we're, we're seeing um, some action, but not nearly enough, particularly India and some of the other countries haven't um, uh, come in with uh, their updated NDCs yet, but we are still seeing, I think we'll see a lot happening over the next uh, week. Um, and in particular, uh, some, efforts to try to unstick some of these these smaller sticking points that um, I should just say they're not they're not small they're related to important elements like uh, linking national trading systems for co2 for example or mm-hmm. um, conventions and and uh, around emissions accounting um, one key piece of this upcoming meeting will be the global stock take and uh, preparing for that over the next couple of years, getting accounting rules in place. And so I think, you know, that a lot of, um, uh, you know, we, we may, there have been some uh, ambitious goals that, that, that were laid out ahead of the meeting. Um, the UK uh, has articulated that there, you know, might be a, um, a chance of, of halting new coal construction 
worldwide. I think you know it may be more fruitful for us to focus on um, a getting pledges closer to a trajectory that's consistent with the 1.5 or 2 degrees C goal. So keeping recognizing very up you know front and center that this gap continues to exist between what <clears throat> countries have pledged and all mm -hmm. those pledges that I just mentioned, right? Those collectively do not get us to where we need to be with respect to uh, the goals of the Paris Agreement. And so, so I think there's, um, uh, there's going to be a discussion around what trajectory are we on? How do we know that we're on it? You know, that, then that's going to be a, a number of details around measurement, reporting, verification. Um, and then there's going to be an important conversation, you know, a return to the table around uh, international ambition underpinned by global trading of uh, obligations to reduce emissions. So you can imagine that, you know, there's, and this is, I think, a big topic, um, which we may come to in a moment, but the, um, but the, I think there will be a significant focus on this question of how, of the sort of the, uh, the conditions under which and the rules under which you could imagine a, a global system for um, uh, linking uh, climate policies and uh, reducing emissions uh, or, or increasing the flexibility through which countries could reduce their emissions. Um, as, as you see, I mean, this is going to be extremely important um, for a number of reasons, um, uh, not least, uh, containing the costs of addressing the climate problem at a kind of global level. Mm -hmm. But it will also be really important uh, as a number of private sector uh, so companies um, and, uh, and their supply chains operating worldwide will really need clarity about how they how to account for their emissions and how um, emission, because you know, supply chains span international boundaries. Um, so I think a number of the accounting challenges will uh, will really, if this process can resolve those, then that will really help create some additional clarity and credibility um, uh, around uh, that that businesses need in order to say these are um, you know these actions that I'm going to take to meet my uh, net zero pledge. Mm -hmm are actually um, have a high integrity with respect to national policy targets. And so it's really about being, being able to work. Um, you know, I think that uh, the, the meeting in Glasgow is going to have an has, has a real opportunity kind of zero in on, on, um, uh, on linking emissions trading systems and climate policies more generally um, uh, and addressing some of these um, a sort of, questions around reporting, monitoring, and verification, okay. uh, which have been, have not been, um, I think, have been sticking points at past talks. Um, so, that, so I'd say, you know, there's, keep the big picture in mind, but these details are really important. Okay. So it, I think, you know, in the, in the layman's language, what you're su suggesting here is it's not likely that we're going to see uh, um, the, you know, what the 45% cut based on 2010 needed to get uh, us to, you know, a, a situation um, uh, by 2030 to limit global uh, warming only to 1.5, right? 
I think uh, 1.5 is going to be very tough, but we should not forget that the difference between two degrees and 1.5 degrees is, is essentially uh, a, is a big one, right? In terms of the consequences that we might expect in terms of the disruptions, the likelihood of disruptions um, to uh, weather systems, um, mm -hmm. climate system, um, and the global economy. So are you saying, you know, we maybe we have to kind of forego at least immediately the 1.5, but keep in mind the 2.0, the two degree centigrade increase as kind of what countries need to meet and obviously private sector com combinations, right? But the, but the public sector, the governments, that's what they need to focus on immediately? I think it's, it's possible uh, to keep a focus on uh, 1.5 as a desirable okay. and important, uh, you know, scientifically based target that we don't want to, we, we should allow that to be, you know, the, um, the shadow behind all of us as we push towards greater levels of ambition. I'm not saying we should let up on ambition, but I think we should be, we should be clear eyed about what we're actually signing up to do. And so uh, if we look at the pledges, we're not even getting anywhere close to two degrees C. Um, even right. with the most ambitious, the latest, if every announced commitment mm -hmm. is enshrined in domestic activities, law and otherwise, right. then we, have, we come within striking distance of two degrees C, two to okay. 2.4 degrees. Okay. That's, uh, and that's, that's based on the best estimates from Climate Action Tracker. Now, if Climate Action Tracker also would, would um, I think, uh, as it looks through where countries have landed on their pledges, uh, you know, the big emitters, China, the United States, uh, India, are all uh, ranked, you know, at the very least sort of in this insufficient category. Sufficient? Right. Insufficient, right? Right. Highly insufficient. You know, I think that the U.S. only gets ranked insufficient be, but based on the newest commitments by the Biden administration. But that's kind of, you know, letting the U.S. off easy in a way, because that there is still a long way to go in order to get the commitments that the administration has made um, mm -hmm. enshrined in, in domestic law and policy. So I think there's recognizing that we're still in a, in a place where more ambition is needed across the board, especially in these big emitting nations. And that's, and that's a, you know, I think a kind of important takeaway. Also, you mentioned the upcoming G20 right. uh, for that, for that discussion. Right. So, so, you know, it is, are we in a situation? I mean, if president Biden tootles off to Europe, <laughs> first to Rome and then to Glasgow, and he doesn't have in his back pocket uh, agreement, uh, for you know the, the both the social infrastructure and infrastructure the you know the hard infrastructure pro programs that they've been negotiating now for uh, quite some time, do you think that's going to have a real damper, uh, a real down effect uh, on the possibilities of uh, Glasgow if he doesn't have uh, a deal in quotes uh, the legislative agreement? You know, Alan. I, I mean, it's. I think um, the the reality is, is that it, it it makes it harder. It really makes it harder. I mean, it's it's um, 
uh, it's hard to see, you know, I, I think when you look uh, at countries' pledges, you look at what the letter and you look at the the intention and, and uh, mechanisms in place to support that action. And, and so um, I think it's a, you know, it's a call to, uh, to, uh, to sort of not, I mean, it's this, at this point, my sense, especially among young folks is that this is no longer such a strongly partisan issue in the United mm-hmm. States. There is an opportunity to, to push towards, uh, to push for more ambitious action. If, you know, plans need to consider the um, impacts on workforces and the importance of enabling everyone to see themselves in a decarbonized future. I think there is there is effort to build that vision in the United States right now. Whether it will happen in time to get legislation on track to meet the Glasgow deadline, yeah, I think that's very hard, very yeah. hard to 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 see. But um, even but, even but I, if but I hope. But it's but hey, the pressure has never been as high as it has been now. It is now. So, <laughs> but so, even um, if they are successful, my up. understanding is that the what they're you know like likely the heart of the um, the green program is really an incentives program. It's there is no you know pricing carbon in, in the U.S. There is no immediate sense that a trading and an ETS system, an emissions trading system, is is likely in the U.S. I mean, it really. You know, they're relying on, from what I understand, basically an incentives system to try to move uh, towards a low carbon environment. Am I correct on that? Yeah, and I think it's also it's it's a it largely um, in the near term it'll be a focus on electricity um, and and decarbonization okay. of the power sector, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and and also I mean I think what's what's potentially very uh, you know politically workable this time we'll see. Is okay. the fact that this is this is in the context of an infrastructure bill, right? right. So of course, there's a, a lot needs to happen, but in general, I think you know you you've seen um, you know uh, I, I think that the point is that you know these green policies um, are also green in an economic sense, right? So that the idea is that you know this is not about um, you know this is the this, this whole program is designed to mitigate the impacts on vulnerable constituencies as well and improve the overall state of American infrastructure while addressing the climate problem through Mm -hmm. what I think um, if that program finds its way into the final policy package has the potential to make a real impact on and and keep um, and keep the U.S. in the game in terms of meeting the commitments that they I mean it's it's not going to be you know net zero tomorrow let's be clear it's but it's it's about getting the country on a track where, um, uh, and I and I think it's worth mentioning that you know today, industrial policy is no longer a dirty word in Washington. It's this is also about making mm-hmm. sure that there is opportunity for American workers, as a part of uh, any program uh, to address the climate problem. Okay, okay, let's let's turn to one of the other big emitters, and that, this is uh, this is China. Something near and dear to your heart in terms of your research work. Um, uh, as we're aware, um, President Xi is not going to be attending in Glasgow. In fact, he's not left um, the country since January 2020. Nevertheless, 
you know, are we uh, are we to take something from his absence from something as significant as the both the G20 in Rome, but then then the Glasgow meeting um, right after that? Look, I mean, it's it's this is a um, is a hard question uh, in the sense that uh, I think, you know, you can spend time reading those tea leaves or you can look at what China is actually doing. Okay. <laughs> in terms of its domestic policy, and just yesterday, uh, you have this announcement of a uh, the Carbon Peak Action Plan, right? So, and in, in, in this case, um, China, um, as earlier uh, announcements have made clear that that China is, you know, there's been some significant progress in recent years. There's okay. been a shift from a focus on just carbon to uh, recently an acknowledgement that this uh, program needs to consider all greenhouse gases. Um, so methane and, and methane, mm-hmm. um, uh, um, N two O. Yep. You know, okay. The, the full um, SF six. All, all of you know all the major greenhouse gases. Um, okay. Uh, including, I mean, I think, um, I hope, uh, you know, black carbon as well. Um, so okay. this is, and, and of course, it's that's being addressed in part through some of the air pollution um, action plans as well. And so what you've seen, I think you can kind of take a, um, a, a you look sort of look back at, at China's uh, experience with its environmental policies over the last decade and and, and note that um, there has been significant progress made um, on the air pollution issue. And so right. what China is right. doing with this announcement yesterday is basically tackling the climate issue, the similar action plan kind of level of intent. So incorporating... Uh, carbon peaking into and carbon neutrality eventually into its five-year plans. Now, there are limits to doing this, right? I think incremental change needed to reach a peak and and reverse the rise in emissions in that country before 2030 is highly realistic and may have, um, uh, I mean, and may not, not, I mean, it's not easy. uh, Okay. But it's it's also, it's it's not, out of the realm of possibility, uh, given the lifetimes of infrastructures and you know, turnover of the vehicle fleet, et cetera. I think if we look beyond 2030, that's where the big question marks lie in China. And I, I really, I think that, um, you know, the, the fact that there's going to be a combined approach, it seems, so it, as um, uh, I've recently written about, you know, China has launched an emissions trading system, right. um, power sector, carbon dioxide, um, several thousand firms, um, uh, you know, m- big share of the country's emissions, right? And, and, and sort of very meaningful in terms of global emissions um, covered by that system. And that's an important step forward and there are plans to expand that system. And, but I think it's important to recognize that that system will coexist in an environment with uh, more top-down, direction and targets coming from the economic planning side of things. And that's a, it's an ultimately could be a good thing if economic plans are explicitly accounting for the need to transition the economy away from uh, heavy reliance on particularly coal, um, mm-hmm. but other forms of fossil energy, transportation, right. for example. And right. so I think that that's, there's a really interesting, kind of a really interesting moment to see how those sort of the, the dual use of market-based instruments together with this top-down 
um, approach uh, in the action in the form of an action plan and, and the and five-year plan targets um, that are uh, that are uh, ratcheting up the level of ambition um, relative to what we've seen in previous five-year plans. Uh, and so it will be interesting to see if if that approach works. I think what will be really challenging is you know um, uh, trying to get the, the dual system to work to support a path to carbon neutrality by 2060. I can mm -hmm. see the dual path being you know belt and suspenders, you have um, targets, plans, but then you also have a market for, say, the power sector and, and carbon emissions um, that, that begins to work. I mean, there are, of course, rigidities, right? You can't pass through the cost of the carbon permits um, to end users uh, without expanding the program to include those end users. Um, and there are a number of things that, that also um, have meant that the system uh, um, may not be sort of functioning optimally yet, but the but it's a huge first step, right, for world's largest carbon market, um, just with the power sector included. Uh, and at the same, so I think that at the same time, you know, you're going to see that program plus the targets put China on a pretty clear path through 2030. But it's that longer term, you know, that Beyond extra, that. yeah, you know, getting to two degrees C. And and uh, China has not to this point. Uh, sort of signal that it that it embraces the 1.5 degrees C target. I mean, it's really focused on, I think, two degrees, but also on its own carbon neutrality goal. This is huge progress in the last couple of years. I think you going back to your original question. This is you know there's progress in terms of making these announcements, but at the end of the day, I think um, figuring out and this is subject of our our recent. Um, paper in the economics of energy and environmental policy, it's really thinking about how you get these, the sort of the, the planned system and the market system to work together in service of this uh, long-term goal. Um, you uh, have been uh, involved and just recently uh, put out this report called China's CO2 Emissions Trading System, History, Status and Outlook. Uh, and you did this, I take it, with folks from Tsinghua and, and your colleagues from Harvard and wherever. And it seemed, and, you know, I reviewed it. It was a very interesting report. But what's also clear, not surprisingly, I guess, is the very gradualist approach that has been used here uh, by China with respect to, in, in this case in particular, the, the, the ETS, the emissions trading system, right? So there were some kind of provisional programs and then, you know, they've, uh, they've brought them forward. The, the quite, and I take it that the, the current um, ETS system only applies to the power sector. So I guess the question is, is there, do you have any sense that there's likelihood to expand that? to get to some of the other key sectors um, like, you know, manufacturing, production, steel, con you know, concrete, those kinds of things which have significant transportation, which have really significant uh, CO2 emissions. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's um, you know, this is a, an important, uh, very important question. Uh, the, um, so the system as it's set up now is, is as you've, said it's focused on on the power sector um, right. and in addition to being focused on the power sector it's targeting carbon intensity not total carbon emissions so 
That right. means that we're talking about carbon emissions indexed to a measure of physical output in this case, um, electricity. Right. And so that um, it of course means that you could constrain carbon intensity and not see a reduction in carbon emissions um, in the long term. So that's why I think it's it's uh, if we, and this is consistent with the way that China's pledges have been written thus far. Um, just recently, uh, China has announced that it will go beyond, I think it was also part of the action plan yesterday, China, um, China's goal is to go beyond this uh, targeted reduction of 60 to 65% um, reduction in carbon intensity by 2030 relative to 2005. So that's that's the target that China um, uh, signed up to in Paris, and if we look uh, and and so there's now saying we're going beyond 65 percent. Okay. Um, that's a, still a carbon intensity target. Yeah. So not a mass, not a mass target, right? Not a mass based target. Target. And it's right. Emissions trading system, which is essentially a tradable performance standard um, in sort of technical terms. Because what it's doing is it's allowing um, emitters to trade according to their carbon intensities. So right, right. Uh, it's and and that that system, um, I think there's there's been discussion of moving that system to a mass-based system to be consistent with China's peaking goal and quantity-based or mass-based targets um, going forward potentially. Mm -hmm. So that's been a, that's. All under discussion. I think it'll be really interesting to see where that goes. Um, but as you say, you know that I mean, getting the system set up in the power sector is great. But the way it's set up is is really, I think, uh, you're you're allowing firms to make you're you're sort of limiting the extent to which they can really make adjustments in in service of this more incrementalist approach. Um, in part, this is about learning how to trade, how well these instruments work. You sort of uh, so, for example, there's a there are different benchmarks for different technologies. Natural gas is a different benchmark from different types of coal, and so those benchmarks again, there's that's um, designed to address the equity considerations. You know, these older, uh, less efficient plants uh, are are sort of are not you know sort of quickly under pressure, but mm -hmm. uh, they mm -hmm. do. Um, uh, you know, they do face some incremental pressure with the carbon price and, and begin to, um, you know, adjust their operating hours and their efficiencies slightly. So you are going to see, and mainly you'll see, I think, much of the, um, much of the impact of the uh, emissions trading system seems like it will be in efficiency improvements, incremental efficiency improvements in the operation of these coal plants and, and natural gas plants. And so that's, and again, I think it's worth saying that this system is not just applying to the power sector, but it's a subset of plants within the power sector that is fossil uh, or thermal power plants, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, we also have, a, I mean, of course, separately, there are regulations that target increases in the share, the contribution from renewable energy, um, mm -hmm. nuclear, hydro, et cetera. So um, in the long term, you know, that fossil share covered by the emissions trading system will be a relatively you know, an ever smaller share Component. of the total right. um, uh, 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 generation, electricity generation that's that's subject to um, to such a system. 
that being said, I think it's still very important and the intention is to expand the system um, within the next several years to um, uh, the more uniform commodities like um, cement and, and uh, aluminum smelting. Uh, and then beyond yeah. that, there's, right, so steel, um, there are essentially, um, you know, there are um, eight sectors that are undergoing extensive preparations for not just, well, I should say emissions accounting, but then eventually um, those, those enterprises um, it's foreseen that they could be included in an expanded national system, although there's there's still some uncertainty about the time frame, in part because accounting is for emissions, GHG emissions, is something that many of these enterprises have never done before, even CO2. I mean, this focus here is CO2, but that's that's for many of these enterprises, like mm -hmm. a, you know, relatively new part of their activities. Okay. Uh, one last question. I mean, there apparently is this pilot project, which China has undertaken, if I'm not mistaken, with um, uh, the uh, spearheaded by the University of California in Tsinghua uh, through what's called the California China Climate Institute, which is chaired by um, uh, former Governor Jerry Brown, actually, in partnership with uh, China's top uh, climate envoy, uh, Xi Jianhua. Is, is there is there some significance in this um, pilot project uh, combining California and, and China? I mean, I think any effort to link an emissions trading system in China, a national emissions trading system with any meaningful system outside of China is significant. I mean, this okay. is and and uh, and this effort in particular, I mean, I, I'm um, less familiar with the details, but the people right. involved are are have been you know longtime uh, supporters of more ambitious climate action. I think if you can get, uh, I mean, look that if you could demonstrate that such a system could work and was capable of uh, of significantly mitigating overall compliance costs under two different systems, in a in a I think at the beginning it will be it will be managed carefully, right? You don't want to. Um, Perceptions of outsourcing sure. emissions would not be um, would would not do much to sort of um, uh, uh, support and build momentum for um, uh, uh, more ambitious uh, linkages over time. Instead, I think this is about I, mean, I think what people really underestimate is getting the institutions and the mechanics and the reporting mechanisms, the implementation details right, and and the mm -hmm. experience and the and the experimentation that it requires on the ground to be able to build that is something that you know any effort such as the one you described would would really go a long way towards starting to realize well it's a it's a very complex subject and i really appreciate um uh your spending some time with us and i urge people to read your report because it gives real insight into the initiatives so far that China has undertaken with respect to um, their emissions trading system. So thank you, Valerie, for uh, joining us today on, on the subject. Thank you, Alan. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, and uh, I will, like you, be watching uh, with bated breath what happens <laughs> starting next week. No question. Thanks.